Rondo wasn't just a street. It was an area. Uh, it was a it was a community. Um, and in as much as it's a physical community, it's a spiritual community because there are people in Washington, D.C. and L.A. and Atlanta, all over the country and all over the world right now uh, who are doing amazing things. And when you ask them where they're from, they'll tell you, I'm from Rondo. That's the voice of Melvin Carter III, or as he is better known these days, Mayor Melvin Carter. He's the first black mayor of St. Paul, Minnesota, Mayor Carter and his family and the Rondo neighborhood have a past, a present, and a future that are forever tied to one another. I'm Brant Williams. And I'm Jonathan Rabb. And this is Untangled Roots. Mayor Carter's talking about the Rondo neighborhood, a black community in Minnesota that was split in half by a federal highway project, resulting in several hundred black families losing their homes and businesses. Between the 1930s and 1950s, Rondo was a center for black life and culture in Minnesota. One could argue that it was the closest the state had to its own version of Harlem. According to the Minnesota Historical Society, by the 1930s, half of St. Paul's black population lived in Rondo. And while freeway construction displaced that concentration of Black residents, that's not the end of the Rondo story. In a lot of ways, uh, I think uh, our neighborhood was better off then than it is now, we as a people, because we had everything we needed in a a confined area of about 15 blocks. You You wouldn't even have to come out of that area to get stuff done. The residents of Rondo were and continue to be proud sons and daughters of the neighborhood, whether they were born there or drawn there during the Great Migration. You'll hear more about that later in this series. So why are the sons and daughters of the Rondo neighborhood so deeply rooted to a place that had so much of its glory stripped away? We started off by asking ourselves, as Black people who grew up in Minnesota, what did we learn about Rondo when we were kids? I think I probably first started hearing about Rondo when probably wasn't until I was working as a journalist. I mean, I, because I was a Minneapolis kid. I mean, there wasn't a lot of St. Paul interaction in my life at that point. You know, it's like maybe you went to St. Paul for to go see the Capitol or you go to the Science Museum downtown, but I wasn't hanging out in St. Paul. So I don't think I really learned about Rondo until I was working as a journalist. In uh, and the office, the first office that Insight News had that I, when I was working there was in St. Paul's, like on University Avenue. And I remember covering like Rondo Days, the celebration, and learning more about it. And I think probably like a lot of people, I I knew then that there was I ninety four went through it, and then it wasn't anymore. So. I actually was doing a lot in Rondo as a kid. Um, I was a member of City Songs. Then it was an inner city youth choir. And we held our practices at the Halle Q. Brown Center. Right. So I have many a memory sitting outside of the Halle Q. Brown Center waiting for my parents to pick me up. And my parents were late. And I, <laughs> I remember sitting out waiting for them in the dark. Um, so, <laughs> hey, parents got to work, right? Yeah. So um, I remember that. 
And I remember going there and knowing like I was in a black community. I remember that the kid, the rest of the kids were, most of them were from Rondo. I was from South Minneapolis. But my parents had like actively decided that I would go um, be around these other black kids and be a part of this choir with them. And then we would go around the, around the state and sing those songs for people, yeah. which was really, really cool. And then when I was little, um, my dad was a part of the male metropolitan chorus. And that was a group of black men. Um, we were talking about it earlier, but like some of them just seemed really, really ancient to me <laughs> at the time. I think they were like, they were in their nineties, eight, late eighties and nineties. And, um, I remember sitting in the pews and listening to them practice. Like many aspects of Black history, the Rondo neighborhood has clear pieces of its story that stand out, like its partial destruction by the highway. Rondo is also recognized nationally as a place of cultural significance. It was a backdrop of creative work for people like Gordon Parks and August Wilson. But its story feels incomplete. We don't know enough about the impact Rondo had on Black art, Black music, and in general, the advancement of Black people. Even Mayor Carter's first memories of Rondo are tied to events that came from Rondo's later days. Rondo days, to be exact. For me, Rondo started uh, as a festival, uh, as a summer festival, uh, you know, every summer out in the park uh, that kind of started as more of a family reunion type of neighborhood uh, festival, you know, as opposed to like a big community parade, all the kind of stuff it ended up kind of uh, evolving into. Um, but I think earliest on, I knew Rondo was a sort of a summer party, you know, mm. and that all these people would show up for some reason, and we'd know everybody. And my father uh, has the ability as a as a as a son of Rondo community to look at somebody and you know tell you their whole family tree, and you know his right. his uncle, you know his uncle married you know so and so, and and uh, their grandmother, you know, and so you know it, it was always incredible to me the way that my father could just meet somebody or I'd have a new friend and he'd, you know, ask me their last name and their parents' name. And all of a sudden, you know, their entire you know, lineage would appear before. Well, wow, like a small way. town. Oh, very much like a small town in ways that would just drive me crazy. I mean, you can imagine <laughs> that driving a 15-year-old kid insane um, to the point where I just tell my dad, my friends don't have last names. They don't have parents. <laughs> They're just my friends. Rondo, by many accounts, was really a typical black neighborhood, and it functioned like black cultural centers in parts of other cities like Detroit, Houston, or Oakland that built strong communities only to have them stripped away in the name of progress. Tell me your name and when and where you were born. Melvin Carter Sr. Uh, I was born here in Minnesota, St. Paul, uh, September the 8th, 1923. If you didn't recognize that first voice, that was me. I interviewed Melvin Carter Sr., the mayor's grandfather, back in 2001. And during that conversation, he shared his memories about what it was like growing up in Rondo. Then the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956 came along, and that led to the construction of Interstate 94. That's the highway that tore through Rondo, splitting it in half. And Melvin Sr. also shared his feelings about why he thought the authorities chose that route for the highway because that was the cheapest property to take. It's just like in every other city in the country, you know. They come where the property's the cheapest, and, the, and you'd almost think they, someone did this intentionally because it just about destroyed us as a people, you know. And uh, 
for what what little we had going for us before that it was certainly dislodged. So what what can you say about progress? You know, I guess they needed the roads to build the uh, for the cars, and the, the nation was uh, spreading out, and people moving out to the suburbs. They need these highways, so they got to go somewhere. That's to justify that situation. But on the other hand, I often thought that someone could have foreseen what it would do to the people who lived in these uh, low-priority neighborhoods, you know. In the long run, it's really made a wreck out of a, out of a community that was in pretty good shape. So throughout this podcast, it gets a little confusing because we're going to be referring to multiple Melvins. And so I just want to make this clear. There's Melvin Carter Sr., who's the mayor's grandfather. There's Melvin Carter Jr., who's the mayor's father. And then there's Mayor Melvin Carter. He's Melvin Carter III. The Carters aren't the only multi-generational Rondo family, but we chose to focus on them because they are a true legacy family. Four generations of the Carter family worked hard to support the community, and we'll share some of their stories later in the series. Mayor Carter told me that he understood that public service was kind of like the family business. I was not really raised to be in, like, electoral politics. And so... I would volunteer for NAACP or I'd volunteer for the Habitat for Humanity. And we'd do these things. Both of my parents founded, you know, community serving nonprofits in the neighborhood. Uh, mom centers around arts education. Uh, my father founded Save Our Sons. He's to this day in the juvenile detention center once a week and engaging particularly black boys who have had some contact with the juvenile justice center. And so in the same way, you know, you look at your parents and figure whatever they do is what adults do. And so I figured I'd have uh, a big keychain. Uh, I'd like to eat onions and I'd serve community, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I have no idea to this day how our house was the house that, you know, in a in a hailstorm or, or a, a thunderstorm uh, that uh, someone who was experiencing homelessness uh, who we'd never seen before would knock on the door, ring the doorbell and ask to wait out the storm in our living room or in our garage. And the answer would be yes. And so I just saw my parents, I saw the adults around me, I saw my grandparents just being active, being knee-deep in community. As Mayor Carter told us, his family was so dedicated to the work of supporting the community that he didn't even notice how influential and connected some of his family members actually were. He shared this story about his grandmother, the late Billy Carter. She was uh, very close with uh, former mayor uh, George Latimer. Uh, my understanding is she was one of his first and kind of strongest volunteers on his first campaign for school board before he ran for mayor. Um, she was uh, part of a group of African-American women uh, who, in the city of St. Paul, got federal funding to build swimming pools, uh, demanded that a swimming pool be built at Jimmy Lee Recreation Center, uh, which my father grew up in, which I grew up in, which is now a, a, a major uh, regional kind of water park there. Right. Um, and she was somebody who was just actively engaged and involved, uh, much more, I think, um, uh, vocally outgoing, verbally outgoing than my grandfather uh, in very many ways. Um, and the truth is, I didn't really realize a lot of her real political um, uh, activity, her, her, her background of political activism. I went off to college in Florida Florida A&M University, one of the largest black colleges in the nation, and uh, really developed a, a, a political lens on the world and started figuring out what I think about the world uh, and came home with all these new conclusions that I knew nobody had ever thought of before. <laughs> um, and I came home from my grandmother's funeral. And there I see former Mayor George Latimer 
giving her eulogy uh, and talking about what close friends they were and what a strong and profound impact on his politics that she had uh, and come to find out uh, the, 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 the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. Mayor Carter also told me he had a lot of stories about his grandfather, the late Melvin Carter Sr., and this is one of them. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him. And he's telling me about being a Pullman porter and being a red cap on the on the trains. Yeah. And he was talking about some day where he took some, you know, double shift and finally got to go to bed. And he lays down. And the moment yeah. he lays down, somebody hits his leg and says, how are they treating you? And he gets up mad and he goes, and it was, um, it was, um, what's his name? It was um, uh, that union guy. Mm-hmm. And like, Grandpa, are you? Talking about A. Philip Randolph. <laughs> he goes, yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> wow. I'm like, how, how, how could that never have felt, you know, uh, uh, relevant to Exactly, share? right? Yeah, yeah. You never mentioned that before? But at wow. some level, you think it's like, I never stopped and just made it a point to hear your stories before right, that. Right, right. You know, I yeah, took, I took you it know, for granted that I would always be able to hear these. Right. It would be easy to say that the Carters were an example of a particular family that made a huge effort to support the Rondo community. But it wasn't just the Carters. Rondo brought out a collective spirit in all of its residents. Everyone worked together on some level to support each other. They took responsibility for themselves and their neighbors. Yeah, and I spoke with Mayor Carter and got to ask him about how he understood this sense of shared responsibility. Your grandfather mentioned that, and uh, I spoke to him in 2001, and he mentioned for that part of the neighborhood, uh, the, the practice there was, you know, if you're a young kid and you're out doing something you're not supposed to do, that your Somebody neighbor snatch you. would snatch you back That's and right. tell you to go back home because That's we right. know that your parents, I know your parents, and you're That's not right. supposed to be here. That's right. Um, did you also grow up with that? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. We were... Um, I came up in the Rondo community with a group of just incredible young people uh, who are many of whom back in the community who are, you know, raising their families, who went to college, who, you know, are, 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 are building community, who are working for the county or working for corporate or a lawyer or something like that. And we always look and say, what's so special about our cohort of young people? And the truth is, the, the real question is, what's so special about the group of parents that raised us? And they raised us together, and they raised us in community, and they raised us to know that, you know, Jabari's mom or Donnie's mom or Micah's mom, or, you know, they, they tell you to do something, it's coming from me, you know. And if you get in trouble with them, you're getting in trouble with me, too, uh, <laughs> when you get home. And so, yeah, I very much grew up, you know, as that, you know, uh, African proverb, it takes a whole community to raise a child. On a given day in Rondo, you might have heard the sounds of horse and buggies passing through. Of children playing. Or hymns on a Sunday morning. Over time, you'd hear sedans on busy streets. Women chatting on the way home from work and raucous piano melodies coming from the local men's club. And even today, you'll hear the light rail speeding down University Avenue. Students being bold and young at the local bus stop. Along with the roar of that life-changing highway just in the distance.
But no matter what time we find ourselves in, the sound of Rondo represents a community. Black people bonded by a collective spirit of greatness, passed down in the DNA of a neighborhood once grand, once torn apart, and now fighting to restore itself. And that fight is being led by Rondo's sons and daughters, individuals united by the pride they have in Rondo, a sense of pride instilled over time and steeped in the history of Black excellence. Their story is Rondo's story, and it's a story that deserves to be told. Thank you so much for listening. Untangled Roots is a production of NPR News and part of our North Star Journey Project. Untangled Roots would not have been possible without the work of many people, including executive producer Sarah Glover, producers Twyla Dang and Brant Williams, hosts Brant Williams and Jonathan Rabb, sound design and mixing Alex Simpson, researcher Anne Harrington, with original music by Greg Grease. You can learn more about Untangled Roots, the North Star Journey Project, and find additional resources by going to the NPR News website at nprnews.org. Untangled Roots was made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.